to the Rise the Challenge podcast. Join me today. She's the original Real Housewife of New Jersey, TV personality, the host of Absolutely Danielle podcast, and an entrepreneur. It's Danielle. Stop. How are you doing today, Danielle? So incredible. Thank you for that nice introduction. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We're excited to learn all about your Rise to the Challenge. Mm-hmm. What we'd like to do first is we go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? So I am literally from New York, um, right across the bridge from me. I live on the waterfront currently in, um, in New Jersey. So I'm looking pretty close to where I used to live. You can get there pretty easily, Brooklyn. I don't know if anyone's heard of that little uh, borough called Brooklyn, but Bensonhurst was um, where my playground was as a child, and it's changed very much, as have I, but still home to me. I also had a place upstate where I went, I was sent when I was very bad, Um, but that was my getaway, and little did um, my abuser know, which was my father, that when he would sexually abuse me and I would act out and get thrown out of parochial school and all the things that were happening as a result of that abuse, um, I was being sent off to the horse farm upstate where my aunt lived and that's where I wanted to be anyway. So to be honest with you, there's two sides of me. There's that country girl and there's that city girl and you don't want to mess with either one (laughs) because I'm pretty, I'm pretty, comfortable in in what they say is you're comfortable in Rome you're comfortable anywhere well I'm in Rome all the time so wherever I put my feet down is home to me and um, I've never really had much of a childhood uh, besides my aunt providing a whole different genre of life for me uh, early on she she saw that being adopted into this family um, where there was so much sadness uh, surrounding me. My father and my mother that adopted me, they lost five sons to cystic fibrosis, one of which um, I knew and I still remember. People say you can't remember past, a, I mean, up to a certain age. Well, I was uh, not quite two years old when he passed away, but I remember him vividly and I remember everything about his last day and his final hours with me. And that was the beginning of when the abuse really accelerated and started to pick up. I was sexually abused Um, until I said no at the age of eight. I was not quite my ninth birthday, so I always say eight. Uh, To have to be grown up, all grown up by that age was, I had challenges, but I didn't know any other life. I didn't know that there were kids having fun and, you know, feeling safe at home. Um, I feel like that laid down the ground basis for me in many ways. My safety spot was always removed from uh, the the, um, exciting parts of life where you're in the middle and the thick of everything. And I don't feel safest there, but I thrive there. That's where I feel like I become more myself, a side of myself that I embrace because I have no choice, but it's always me trying to make sure that people know who I am and not really what I am. I was always hiding a little side of me. So on the flip side of the coin, going upstate to my aunt and the horse farm and, you know, being told that I don't really have to shovel, you know, poo out of their stalls, I get to really just enjoy them. She started to figure out rapidly that there was something going on. And um, 
you know, up until the day she died of cancer, she, she really took care of me and watched out for me. But I had already gone on my, my uh, I'd already checked out in, in a lot of ways. I was rebellious. I was, I wasn't a bad kid. I was just not the kid. I was all grown up, no choice of my own. I've always had people throw things at me and they see if it's gonna stick. It all sticks, but it doesn't mean I'm gonna wear it. It just means I'm gonna get rid of it somehow. I'm gonna put it someplace else. And now at the age of 58, I find I compartmentalize a lot of my life and I'm still throwing curveballs. So I don't wanna fast forward too much, but then we enter into the years of me getting on the train and going into the city and nobody knew I was even missing. Um, but I would go stand outside the door, the cast door for the ballet. The Nutcracker Suite was where I wanted to be. I wanted to be in that show. I wanted to be a ballerina. I didn't care what I had to do. I wanted to dance. I felt the arts were calling me at a very young age. And when I would dance in a studio and be given time in a studio with a Russian prima ballerina, uh, Mademoiselle teaching me, uh, those were the moments I just like soaked it up like a sponge. It was somebody telling me, here's what you're going to do and here's how you're going to do it. And I was learning really quickly. So I began to clean the dance studios on Broadway above the Capizio and in trade. I got dance classes and I never really had any kind of, you know, embarrassment about not being able to afford it like the rest of the girls. I didn't care. I didn't know what a nice environment, home environment felt like or looked like. I had no idea whatsoever. I didn't even know what love was at the time. And here I am, just a little girl. I was the age of nine when I, I started doing the cleaning and taking care of the studios so that I could take dance classes. And then I would rush off to stand outside the cast door and a little group of people called the Hells Angels started to become aware of my routine. Hopping on the train late at night, after dark, little girl. I mean, I had hair literally down to beneath my waist. Um, and I always had it tied up in like a bun and just like a pencil or something stuck in it, whatever I could find, I just stick it in. And you know, it was kind of effortless. I look back at that and I'm like, damn, it was so easy for me to look the way I looked and now it just takes so much to put myself together. <laughs> I miss those days. But in, in sight of that, um, I always tried to make myself look a little less appealing. I chopped all my hair at one point thinking that that would get, you know, my father and the other family members that were sexually abusing me to just stop looking at me. I didn't work, but um, I found it amazing that fast forward to these years, people think that I get everything by, you know, my looks and I think that I get by by that. But no, no, no. I actually worked really hard to put myself through school to put myself through NYU and to do my endeavors, I had to work 90 hours a week, you know, while, while in school. Um, that's how badly I wanted my education. And I knew I would have kids one day and they would never want for any of that because I was going to do whatever I had to do to make sure that they had what they needed, the tools that they needed. And I was gonna look out for them, groom them well, and kind of mirror what my aunt was trying to do for me and with me 
and she was just a fine lady. She was beautiful and wonderful and always smelled so good. She taught me through those things, aromas and being around her that what really luxury items felt like, smelt like, and were like. And that's where I became refined in my taste. Um, at home, I was purchasing my own towel, washcloth, everything that I used in uh, the bathroom or anywhere in the home, I purchased for myself so that nobody else was touching it. I was, I had a problem with germs and I had a problem with, with, um, I'm sorry about that. I had a problem with and knowing anyone would have touched something that I was going to use. And I think it came from being raped and sexually abused and sodomized as a small child. Um, to the point where um, one of my biggest, biggest problems with OCD and ADHD and all the things that I had going on that were ending in Ds apparently, <laughs> um, was I, I pretty much marked up my entire body by scrubbing it with um, SOS and Brillo. And so now my skin is so sensitive at this age that I can barely touch it with anything that's kind of rough. It has to be super, super, super soft and feel like a warm, soft blanket or like hot water running over your body when you're cold. You know, you just, if it's not comforting, I can't have it near me. Even if someone else is wearing it and they're near me, I will begin to really itch like crazy. And I think it's just a reaction to all of that. So talking about rising above and overcoming, there were so many, probably too many to list here that um, reasons why this is probably applicable. Um, I think it began to become what people would see about me that they didn't like. I was a perfectionist. I always looked put together. I didn't always have a lot of money. I corrected that by working my ass off and making over a million dollars before the age of 20. I was working as a model, I was working as a, whatever I had to do, I did to make sure that I had enough money to do whatever I wanted with. I had four Porsches, I owned them outright. Um, no man ever bought me a thing. And I refused to even allow the, the father of my children to buy me dinner for three years. Um, when we were, he was trying to see me. I said, I just have a problem with that. He would show up, <laughs> I remember when Nordstrom's uh, had personal shoppers and all of that. Um, and I always had a personal shopper in New York. And when I moved to New Jersey, I had one out here and he would try to stop in and get my Gwen to let him buy me something. And, and I wouldn't let him, even though we were together at the time, I wouldn't accept anything from him. Being independent felt like that was my strength. And that was how I was going to rise above and I was going to show everybody. And I had nothing to prove. I was just going to show everybody how to get where I was going without anybody's help. Uh, I didn't have choices. So my rise was out of necessity and survival. Whereas maybe others might look at me as somebody that they can relate to you know, in a way that makes them feel comforted by their own problems. And that's what I'm here for. I'm here to allow all of you, any of you, or none of you, 
whatever your needs are, look at me and use me as an example as to how to overcome or what not to do. I've let everything be displayed publicly. There's not one part of reality TV that wasn't real for me. Um, unfortunately, I was not cast with characters that kept it real until I removed myself from making a wall and a barrier for them to hide behind. It wasn't until then that, I don't know, 42 counts of fraud, you know, for Teresa and her husband, the people judging me the most were the people that fell the hardest. None of them had what they claimed to have, but they took everything from me that I literally had outright owned. My home, my belongings, I had to leave with my children. I had no idea where I was gonna go and how to start over. They didn't have schools yet. I didn't register them. But when they came to my home and they made a mess of it by breaking in and wrote something on the walls, which will be in my book, 11. I will save some of that for the book. Um, 11 for 11 seasons of The Housewives. So I, I was threatened for my, for my children. I was scared for their lives. So I literally packed up, I, at the time I had a Range Rover, to the, to the top. The three dogs, the three of us, the two kids and me. And my kids were like, where are we going? I said, well, I don't, I don't really know yet. You know, but we landed on the waterfront, which is where I'm at now. And we lived here for 10 years, but we started out on mattresses, air mattresses, just the three of us. And before long, everything started to fall into place. I had never started over with two kids in tow, but I was always starting over in my life because I was meeting people that would chase me out of what I considered my life from one abusive relationship to another. And then, you know, fast forward to the housewives. I had no idea a woman would act like that towards another woman trying to tell her story yeah. and not dignifying a mother and not dignifying me as a person. I owned my own home. <laughs> None of them did. <laughs> but I abandoned my home and lost everything as a result of them. They took from me what didn't belong to them. And in time, everything will be taken from them as well. Not because I want them, not because I said so, but because that's just the way karma works. You can't keep taking from a mother who's raised her two daughters alone without any help financially, mentally, or physically, or emotionally mm -hmm. from their father. And then you can't expect it to be okay. God doesn't like that. You know, God's the judge, not me. But I'm going to say right now, I've been around long enough to see what happens to people when they do mean things to me. Eventually, might take 10 minutes, 10 years, 10, <laughs> I don't know, 20 years, but it's going to come back and bite them right in the ass. Because karma does not miss you when it comes calling. It knows your name. It knows where to find you. So my struggles are real. I keep it real. And I keep overcoming and bouncing back. But now, one of the biggest struggles of my life, excuse me one moment, I need to get rid of my water. I can see it, but I can't quite call it to me. Okay. And I'm on this huge chaise lounge, which is not giving me the ability to be agile. So hold on. There we go. I didn't lie. Hey, here. <laughs> so recently, 
I had to, this is another thing that will be in my podcast and also in my book, which I'm um, doing an audio version of as well. So I'm working with Ryan on this. Um, my ex-husband just took everything from me, came on my platform, did what he wanted to do with it, got his little bit of fame and kept wanting more. So when he saw the reaction he got from the press by calling them with some garbage about me, he sided with my nemesis. That's what husbands do, right? They go for the girlfriends that are attacking their wife. Yeah, that's, that's mature for a 70-year-old man. Um, and then literally, quite literally, he decided that wasn't enough. He'd see what would happen if he just sold the house up from underneath me. My equity, my investment, and my deposit and all, gone. Sold it from me. What am I going to do? I'm going to go into the press or am I just going to try to get my kid and I a home? We left that house, which cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars that I lost. All of my furniture he stole. And um, I had to start over again. Jillian and I, we have not been living very well up until now when we finally found a home and a place to live. But I mean, living in Airbnbs is not exactly ideal, especially for someone with my struggle, which is my biggest challenge. Going through this when you're younger is really not a big problem. Going through this when you have two kids and uh, you know, you're 58 years old, and you're a public image. I'm not afraid, I'm not ashamed. I'm just saying, oh, my phone doesn't stop, I'm sorry. I'm just saying that somewhere in here, it has to make sense that if I'm talking about having rheumatoid arthritis, that I actually have rheumatoid arthritis. And for anyone who knows that kind of pain, it's every joint, it's every part of your body, and it's all the time. It's not a break from pain, ever. If I get a little relief, it's not like, ah. Uh, it's like, oh, what can I do now with this energy? And then I'm gonna be in pain again. So my pain level is always at a 10. If it's a nine and a half, I consider it a gift for the day. Getting up, going to sleep, all very difficult for me. And I'm alone. Without the help of my daughter, Jillian, being with me, it would be, impossible for me to be sitting here with you. So I'm trying to get my career and everything that I have earned through bringing such publication and such awareness to the Real Housewives of New Jersey, because let's face it, it was my story that launched that entire part of the franchise, which was the Jersey sector. Um, and they've been riding on that for all these years. The only claim to fame that they really have is prostitution whore and, and flipping a table. And it was at me <laughs> for, for me having a past. But nobody really asked about my past. No one asked how I got there. No one cared. They just saw dollar signs and greed will get you every time. You're going to get it for the minute, but you're going to lose it just as quick. So if you're rising, you're listening this so, to this so you can rise and you can be a victorious person in life don't miss those steps of the struggle. It's the struggle that makes you stronger. I could do without some struggle for a while, but yeah. 
it's what I've been handed. It's what I've been given. Crying about it, complaining about it, isn't gonna do any good. It's not gonna get me any further. It feels good for the moment to do that, but all that does is set me back. Now, add the pain factor to that, and there's days that I wallow in it, and it's hard for me to function when I can't straighten out my hand or I can't hold on to something or my fingers and my joints and my fingers are bad. People see a picture of health when they see me because I've kept myself in shape. I've always worked out and I've always had the ability to have a genetically formed, I guess, good, good physique, good skin, no plastic, just, you know, Botox. And I haven't had Botox in a year and a half. So this is me. This is really me. I have to say, if it weren't for the struggles, I really wouldn't know how to be me. But I know it now. And I think that if you're leaning into your lives and you're going through something right now, the thing that I'm going to tell you next is the lessons we learn. If you keep repeating the same behavior, you're going to keep learning the same lesson until you've actually stopped repeating the behavior leading up to the lesson. So don't repeat yourself. You know, make those, make them lessons instead of mistakes, because there's no, there's no one that can judge you. If you do keep doing that, you can come talk to me about it anytime because it might take me three or four times to learn it instead of it being a mistake. It's just turns into the same lesson I'm learning over and over again, but nobody can tell me anything until they've gone through what I've gone through. So the Caroline Manzos of the world, they can kiss my beautiful white ass because I'm never going to listen to advice from somebody with a clown haircut and somebody that actually is, feels a little more like a dictator than not. Don't let people get in your way. Don't let people get in your head because once they get in your head, they've affected you in a, in a not so productive way. We have to be productive in life and we have to be able to move forward and you have to know what that looks like. And unfortunately, you have to go it alone. There's not a lot of people that can help you because you're gonna be frustrated trying to explain what it is you're feeling. So all those feelings and all those thoughts, I've had them, I have them. I still have them to this day, but I don't let them rule me. Letting them rule you is an entirely different animal altogether because you can become all consumed by it. So I think what I've learned about my rise and my fall and my rise <laughs> is especially this public persona part of it, which has been going on since, you know, well, it's over 10 years now. I think it's pretty empowering because I have that platform I can speak from to help other people. You don't see me doing influencers for random brands like everybody else is. I just don't do it. So there is a limit to what I will do for money. Unfortunately, they got that part wrong about me because they're more like the prostitutes and I'm not. <laughs> I won't sell somebody out because I know people will follow your lead and they'll say, oh, you're using that for your diet? Oh, you're drinking this? You're eating a lollipop instead? They're not doing it, people. They're really not doing it. They're being paid a lot of money to say that they do. And... Trust me, they're not. And I just don't want to fool people that way. I could be doing very well on influencer money, but it's not what I use. It's not what I believe in. 
And so why would I advertise for that and fool the people that are believing in me? We have an example to set for people out there. I want to use my platform for that. And I'm here for anything that you would need to, to help other people come to the water and drink the water and then believe in themselves because we were all given the gift of being strong enough to handle whatever we're given because none of us are handed any more than we can. It may not seem that way all the time. Even I, guilty of that. I have pity parties on myself too, but I don't lose myself in them. The trick is just don't lose yourself. Find your way out. There's a light at the end of every tunnel. You have never gone through a tunnel that there wasn't unless it was 9-11 and then God forbid, you're stuck, you know? There is no reason to ever doubt the way you're going because when you put doubt in there, you're gonna make a wrong turn. Stay on your path and don't let others pull you off of it. I'm guilty of that. I let other people influence my brain. Oh, this way will be much better. And you know what? It wasn't much better. Perfect example was my last husband. Marrying him, him being on TV with me, it didn't make my life easier. He said he was in there to rescue me and show people what a real man would look like standing next to a woman like me because people had it all wrong about me. Shame on him for thinking that that would be the end of me. I don't lay down easily at all. He should know that of all people. I mean, for God's sakes, him of all people. Yeah. And if you're going to marry somebody like me, at least come to the marital bed, maybe, because it wasn't soon after that that he filed for divorce on Twitter. And um, let's not forget, social media should never be what gears your life. You should never look to social media to have a good day, unless you want to look for somebody that's giving you inspiration, hope, a destiny, or just trying to be in the right side of your brain and, and have space in your heart because there is plenty of love to go around. There's not just one person for everybody. We can have several, but you just need to know you need to love yourself first and most. Most importantly, I think the lesson in all of this is whatever you're doing in life, you can rise. Don't stay stuck. It's not good enough. Look at me, I'm living out back on the waterfront again. I have a beautiful place. Gorgeous, gorgeous place. And I'm doing a show that I'm going to be putting up for everybody to see. And I'm doing it myself. I mean, I do have, you know, sponsors and all of that, but I get to stay home because I'm a high-risk candidate. Where am I going anyway? I get to do this from my home. This is my workplace now. And how comfortable is that? I'm gonna have everything that I thought I could have because I believed. Not because I'm begging people and not because I'm asking for something. I have a hard time asking people for anything. I'm the doer, I'm the giver. And I'll keep being that way because that's true to me. But I now know that there's people out there willing to take, you should know it too. They're gonna to take and they're gonna leave you with nothing. You just gotta learn who the right ones are because you could be left really devastated otherwise. So any problems in life, look up. He's right there all the time. If you don't believe in him, believe in a higher power. I'm spiritual, so 
I can meditate and find myself right there. Or put on David G. <laughs> David G is a great meditation. He'll bring you right back home. Trust me, every time. I'm a big believer in centering yourself and finding your balance within yourself. And don't let yourself be too influenced by the outside. It'll all come around. I think I'm going to be happier than ever, and I hope that all of you find your happiness too. I think a big thing you mentioned earlier was like, we all go through those challenges and we kind of learn from the mistakes we've made. And I think that's something that I've learned about myself over time is the mistakes I've made, I grow from those opportunities. And something you put, uh, showed or told us is the independence you work or how you worked for everything. And I think that's what people probably didn't know. And I think it's great that you're able to be open about it. And it shows that you worked hard to get to where you are today. Yeah. People and I had the other housewives take my career away from me quite intentionally Yeah, because they made it impossible for me to stay. And I was the only thing anyone was talking about, which left them talking about themselves. And we can see where that tanked the shell. Just keep holding on to what it is that you believe in. If I had to do that again, I would have said, you know, all of you can go. But then again, you know, there was Andy Cohen too, so whatever what were your expectations before you got onto the show what what were you hoping to get out of that experience well here's another little tidbit about me i worked on television and theater since the age of nine mm -hmm. i did get on the nut in the nutcracker suite uh it was the sugar plum fairy it's just a little roll but the hell's angels made sure that i uh they put their foot in the door and stopped it until somebody came out to talk to me and they took me in and they did put me in the shell. That was the beginning. That's where I got the itch. I've done theater. I've done primetime, daytime drama, and now reality TV, kind of. So I have been around for a very long time. I also modeled internationally with Ford Agency just for a few companies as a leg model like La Perla, Wolford, you know, just to, to mention a few. Um, but to my credit, being on All My Children didn't make me famous. I mean, I wasn't looking to be famous. I was looking to have a platform big enough to help others. I was always, always trying to help others and giving back. When I was at the top of my game, living at the top of the hill, with a wonderful husband and two children. I was forming these charity events to give away, I'd go to Toys R Us, buy 100 bikes, pay them to put all those 100 bikes together, buy all the equipment to go with them, unisex equipment. I had the archdiocese from uh, finding these, the children from the inner city and their parents to bring them to my parish where my priest set up all the police officers from town to help teach these children safety rules and precautions, how to ride their bikes. This is what I thrived at. This is what I love doing. This is the stuff that didn't get talked about. It's boring to most people. But to me, that made my world complete. Mm -hmm. Having hugs from complete strangers for making their children happy when they couldn't afford to do so. I don't ask for any credit for that. I got, I got all the credit I needed. But it would have been nice to have been acknowledged for a lot of the good that I've done because they were all well aware of it, being as we all lived in Passaic and Bergen County. 
we were neighbors with each other. There was no way they couldn't have known because they tried to cater my parties. And I would throw parties and I would get donations. I mean, my daughter's Sweet 16 was the first televised Sweet 16 and it was for charity. It was the first reality TV televised, I mean, for the housewives, for the franchise. Let me, let me start that over again. It was the first franchise Sweet 16 done for charity um, by Bravo. And she donated everything to cystic fibrosis, which is what my, my brothers died from, all of my, my brothers. And I believe uh, truly to this day, everyone has a charitable bone in them and a niche to do it. And you don't think that you can help when you don't have a lot, a little helps too. Because when you save one person, you've now started to save, you've saved many. That one tells one other person, tells another person, it spills. Let that cup run it over and just let it pour because there's a lot of people that are very hungry and very thirsty and very much in need. So don't think that your $1 isn't gonna help or your $10 or you're just volunteering. I had my kids at soup kitchens. I didn't get advertising on that. I didn't ask them to bring cameras blazing. I could have. I didn't. I did it because I loved it. I loved being up close and personal with people that were in need to feel normal because I knew they came from something, somewhere. I knew they belonged to somebody. They had a mother, father, sister, brother, somebody that loved them once. There's nothing wrong with being a person that loves so much that they sacrifice themselves. And I'm not saying I'm all that, but I kind of am that person. I have upwards of 20, 30 kids over that are, they grew up with my kids and they'll come over and they'll eat for pasta Sundays. You know, that's my biggest, biggest joy is to, to, to feed people. Mm -hmm. So now we have like groups of 10 come in, <laughs> but these are all the kids that rallied and came and moved me when I was completely broken down and didn't have any clue what to do. All the kids that call me mom and their families came to help. So you see, it comes back around. There was no little deed that wasn't recognized or appreciated. And there's a few in particular that didn't stop until we were home, till they brought us home. These are 20 year old kids. 22-year-old, 23-year-old kids. There's no reason for us to say we can't do as well as our kids are doing. I'm proud of each person that I know helps another and each person that has a struggle and makes it through. But the one thing I want to be known about me is if you think that I'm not a good person, you've got it all wrong and I'm not here to defend myself, just read my story listen to my story don't listen to others try to tell my story because would you want anyone to tell yours no it doesn't deplict it properly so i guess what i'm trying to say is yeah they wouldn't know this about me because they just weren't paying close attention in the original seasons a lot more people than not really heard my voice. I had myself collectively together because I had been working on camera for so many years and in front of an audience for so many years, I was the most relaxed. And I think it really pissed people off, but I wasn't doing it to piss people off. I was just like, okay, wait your turn, one at a time, 
that's a fuck enough. All these sayings came from me just being attacked constantly and not understanding why my beautiful life pissed them off so much. Let people be pissed about your beautiful life. Go ahead. Let them be jealous. Don't you dare let them make you small. Don't let anyone make you small. Ever. You're enough. Just like you are. So something great that we got to see while you were on the show is the rise of your kids and the bond that you guys all had. What was the like a favorite moment that you had with your children on the show? And was it hard bringing them in that atmosphere or was it more about being able to just enjoy the experience with them as you could? Well, what I thought was going to be the experience because there was only one reality show to mirror this on TV at the time was uh, Queer Eye, no, two. Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Still love the cast. Very close friends with Carson. Um, and The Survivor. And I thought, well, I'm kind of both because I am bisexual. So I'm part of that community. And so I have a good eye for fashion and all these other things. But um, re The Survivor was kind of like, yeah, I could live on rice and water. I was on uh, daytime television. Yeah. All, all of the uh, soap opera actors, we would say, oh, we can win Survivor, you know? <laughs> we don't need anyway. We can't right now. But the, I think the best part of being on reality with my kids and the worst part were the same. We were filming a show. We didn't know they were filming something against us at another home and talking poorly about my beautiful children who had never heard their name prostitute never heard whore, never heard bad language in the house, except for, you know, the F word, the F bombs would drop, but I would always make an excuse and apologize for it. I said, no, mommy said, fuck it. What are you talking about? You know, but to be honest with you, I, I really, I private schooled my daughters and I had eight activities for them after school. I kept them so busy and so knowledgeable and well-cultured that I knew they would never judge anybody. I could give them everything and they could have it all, but they weren't gonna judge people because I'm their mom. I'm here to make sure that they know there's a line. And if you see somebody sitting alone and you're enjoying yourself, that person's miserable. Take a moment and go offer them a smile or a hello. Don't let anybody be lonely or alone because you wouldn't want to feel that way. I taught my children well. I can't say the same for most of the people that I met in the Jersey's franchise, but I can say all of my neighbors were the same as me. None of my neighbors can say a bad thing about me and they wouldn't. They love me to this day. We still talk to this day. Amazingly enough, the only people I don't get along with in the state of New Jersey or any state anywhere are those women from the original seasons. And now, of course, the few that tried to make their name off of standing on top of me, you know. But those latecomers, when they're off the show, who's gonna remember them? Nobody. They can keep trying all they want, but if they left my name out of their mouths, that'd be much better because they don't deserve to talk about someone like me. You know, in the beginning, I know those ladies were feeling their way around these women coming on the show the, these past few years, they know better. They're plotting. They're already plotting and setting the scene. At least the other ones were just ignorant and stupid all by themselves, you know. Um, I haven't seen much improvement either. Um, I just feel like we're teaching our children through our behavior. 
and my behavior was not appalling. The things that were taken from me, that's appalling. Taking something from my home, that little tape that they keep circulating, that was not meant for public consumption. That was for my boyfriend, me making fun of something that ultimately turned out making me look like I was doing something else for a living. And that's because that's the idea they put in everyone's head while they got paid for something they stole from my home. So shame on them. And they still have to get their karma for that. All of them. I'll just sit back and watch. All I can say about anything, anybody that doesn't know me, just get to know me. I'm not judging you for not knowing me. So don't judge me because you think you've heard something that might be true. Ask me, I'll tell you the truth. Or at the very least, I'll say it's none of your business, you know, because we have a right to have boundaries. Even, even though I'm a public figure, it doesn't mean you can just take from me and suck it out of me. But I found my best use of this platform was doing charitable work and bringing attention, drawing attention to it and also being able to help through my podcast. So many people going through so much. I was going through the darkest time of my life when I started the podcast. And it gave me a way to still communicate and stay connected with my, my fans. And I know a certain amount of them really need me to be. And I need them too. So all the exposure I've had in my life, fame wasn't gonna change any of that. It was just gonna give me the platform to answer the question that you asked. Um, what did I expect from it? I expected it to just be a lot more fun than it was. <laughs> you know, I didn't expect it to be free for all on Danielle's dog because she was the single, you know, woman trying to raise her kids and living a really beautiful life. Um, I don't have regrets though. I can only say, yeah, maybe one. I didn't need to go back. All that did was help Bravo and help the ladies make money. It didn't do anything for me at all. I already had what I needed after season two when I walked away from the show. And now this time I resigned indefinitely. I will never return. I will never film another moment with those animals, unless they're in a cage, of course. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of love for them. I feel bad for them because it's all coming. And I said that before, I'll say it again. They keep wanting to make their mistakes instead of learning their lessons. This show, when it's done, no one's gonna remember anything about them except for the criminal activity that will be announced after their fall. Me? They're gonna remember my strength and rising and being the one that was attacked all the time and oh, the one that was actually right. I hear that a lot now. Oh my God, Danielle was actually right about this. Uh, thanks people, it's been, it's been a while. <laughs> you know, uh, I hate to say I told you so, but it's better late than never, I'll take it. I, I love the love and I love that people are coming around and um, I don't spend a lot of time on social media. I do it as a business and also I do DMs with people that I care about and that I've known for many, many years just as fans because they've become my friends. They've become a support system for me, not because I talk or air my ways with them. I just, I, I learned so much from hearing from them. 
and what it is that my life has done for them. That makes me feel full and happy. It gives me warm, fuzzy feelings when I get those beautiful messages. And I've cried at times. I've actually talked someone out of suicide in season one. I stayed on the phone all the way through New Year's. Um, the only thing I did is hand it to my assistant for a, a few minutes because I had an appearance, a personal appearance, and I needed, mama needed to grab the dough. <laughs> and I grabbed the dough and I got right back on with her as I was walking out the back door and got into my SUV. I, I'm here. I'm here for a reason. So turn to me and I'll answer your questions. And even like that kind of that moment, even if it's not shared, it shows how much of a great person you are because you took the time out of your schedule to be there for that person. And it shows that your fans are going to be there for you through the thick and thin and be there no matter what, as everyone's there to support you. You wrote a book called The Naked Truth. Was that book written because of the allegations and all that stuff that was being said and you were like i need to share what really no, no i actually didn't even want to write a book i was scouted down hunted down by seven 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 publishing houses wow yep and i hired a literary agent and uh maura teitelbaum with abrams and i said what now she goes i got this smart, smart woman. Oh my God, so smart. Taught me everything about the synopsis, writing all the things that I had to write, hiring the right ghost writer or making them, you know, a co-writer or co-author. During season two, I wrote this book, recording it, much the way I'm recording my books now, um, recording it. And Stephen Prigier was my, my co-author and he would do the writing, but I was filming 16 hours a day in season two. So I would break for a minute for touch-ups or I would break to go to a different scene. He was with me with a microphone the whole time, riding in the car, hiding on the floor of the car so I could film like, hold on a second. Yeah, that's what you're gonna say? Okay, bye. And then back to this, you know, and then, and then, and then, and I just kept writing away. I, I had to do all the rewrites during Christmas, but there was a, um, it was ironic because there was a bidding war that it came down to. And this is how Maura handled it. We went and saw each one of the publishing houses. We were interviewed by each one. And um, uh, I was invited in. They treated me like gold. Like we were on a first date or something. They were giving me gifts, upon gifts, upon gifts. And I still have a great relationship with St. Martin's Press. Um, the Elizabeth Bear is the uh, editor-in-chief and also uh, Stephen Cohen. He's the head of children's books department. And I text them often and see what's new. What do we got going on? Because I would collect books for book drives for the schools, for the underprivileged and the inner city kids. And I would take massive boxes of books and deliver them to wherever they needed to be delivered to. All cleaned, all signed. Everything was, was taken care of for them so they could just use them for the kids. You know, I wanted kids to be, be able to read. I wanted that for people. I wanted a higher education and a higher awareness. Um, I was doing this in my, you know, little bit of free time that I didn't have, but that's what made me feel good. That's what made my heart happy. So I took the time to do it because it was, it was benefiting me and my heart. It's my life's work. It's what I'm supposed to do. It's a calling. So 
when I stop for a minute and I think about how lucky I am to have had Mora, because I had no idea I was going to be writing a book. Uh, yeah, she goes, this is what's going to happen. I'm calling them today. It's Tuesday. What was it, Tuesday? It was Tuesday. She goes, I'm going to let them know. If they haven't seen you already, it's too late. And the bidding will start Thursday at 9 a.m. And it will close at 5 p.m. And the highest bid wins. So Simon & Schuster is the biggest publishing house in the world. And of course they won. And they give a lot of money up front. And I split it up with my co-author and Maura, of course. And off we went to the races and we wrote the book in seven months. Wow, that's, is that usually a long time or that sounds quick to write a book? 18 months to write a memoir. And it's the first memoir, the first book to ever be offered and scouted out of the Housewife franchise. And it was the very first memoir out of the franchise as well. What kind of response did you get from the book when people were actually reading it? Oh my God, it was an easy read. Thank you so much for writing this. And mind you, I had to edit it mm -hmm. a lot and remove a lot of stuff for legal purposes. But that's what now is for. I get to read the full length version of everything and not be watched over so heavily. You know, there's a lot more freedom of speech now. I don't have to be as cautious. Um, but I'm still, I'm still cautious. I have a precautionary tale to tell and it's gonna, it's gonna mess some people's lives up, but I've been carrying it. It's theirs alone to carry. It's theirs now. I'm not doing anything to intentionally hurt anybody and I'm tired of hiding so other people don't get hurt. You know, you hurt me and I carry it for a while. Eventually it's going to come out somewhere and it's not me being malicious. It's just me giving back to you what you gave to me. I'm giving it back. That's all. And so I think the outcome was brilliant, actually. It didn't do as well as it could have done because Andy Cohen, of course, supported Teresa's cookbook, which I was on the cover of Putinesca, yeah, for puta, for prostitute. They just played off that and the table flip. She still plays off that to this day. Um, I just don't know why anyone would think that she, they need to read any book written by somebody that's you know, committed so many crimes against all of us. You know, we're paying for those crimes. I certainly lost my home. Why didn't she? You know, you steal all that money, you would think, no, Bravo just saw it is an opportunity to pay her a little more. Because um, without me, what were they going to do? Were the people going to watch the ham game? People throwing meat against the wall? I mean, there's hungry people out there. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. I'm sorry. I, don't think, I didn't find that to be humorous. And I would have killed my kids. Well, my kids would have never done that. Just the big difference at any age. Um, I think we all find humor and comfort in our own way. And it doesn't mean it necessarily has a, a picture that's perfect. But I frame mine in my comfort zone of I've done good at the end of the day. I can put my head on the pillow and I can go to sleep. I haven't hurt anybody and I haven't intentionally caused harm. I can go to sleep at night and I've tried my best to help another person, at least another person, if not multiple people. So my message in my books and getting my story out there is not a defensive thing. It's not a knee jerk reaction. It's not me being, you know, mouthy or smart and using, mis mis misusing and abusing the gift I've been given of this platform. 
I've just begun and I can't go anywhere until I've gotten done what I set out to do in this life. Help and touch as many people as possible and bring everyone to their, their best part of their lives. And if that means I mess up now and then publicly, so be it. But I would never do anything intentionally to hurt anybody. Never. So if I mess up, it's just hurting me. I.e., I try to pull a pose when I'm doing a social media post and I'm just trying to teach somebody how to do something and something gives way. Yeah, that hurts a little bit. <laughs> but I'm not embarrassed and I'm humbled. And if you're watching and you're listening, just know I love you to death and I'm here. I'm here for you. Stay with me. Keep watching. So a fun topic. During this time with the pandemic, uh, you and your daughter have gotten into cooking. And I know she bakes cakes or she does a lot of baking. How has that been as a journey for you guys to do together? It's been incredible. I mean, in the kitchen together, we're kind of a hot mess, but we're also a little bit of fun. I mean, you, you know, she's a perfectionist. I'm a perfectionist. And she's self-taught. I'm self-taught. But the experience is, is incredible to now all these years later because I've always had therapy through my cooking. It's just been therapeutical for me. And that's why I cook enough for about 20, 30 people. I just can't cook small portions. I was meant to be, I think I was just meant to have a lot more kids maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but I do love, I love entertaining. I've always loved entertaining. And I love cooking for people and I love to see the reaction of people's faces when they know that that is gluten and dairy free, what you just ate. I had to reinvent cooking because my daughters and I, I developed an allergy to dairy. I have many other food allergies, but my oldest daughter, Christine, has celiac. And celiac is very dangerous. You can't have gluten in anything. So it can't touch anything. It's contaminating. And it's, it's so toxic, it's, it, could, it, it could cause death. Um, yeah, so somebody that has a combination of other things going on in, in combination with gluten allergies. Um, an allergy is not a choice. It's, it's, it's dangerous. Like, I can't get dairy. It's dangerous for me. I'll be violently ill for days, and then week, a week or two later, I'll start to feel more strength in myself just from somebody not having the wherewithal to know what it is just know that it's it's a big deal so learning how to recook everything that i had taught myself originally now my food is just like so freaking good i would put my meatballs to the test up against anybody anyone anyone and you know what i'd even cook their recipe i want to see if they could cook mine because a pinch of this and a pinch of that, you know? <laughs> but there's a recipe book coming out if that's going to be your next question. And I want to do one with my daughter as well. That's going to be up to her and on her standards and in her time because she just graduated from college. And I know this is a big passion for her. She would love to be doing it all day for everybody. So I guess um, we'll see what part of that journey is going to come to fruition and when, you know? But I am filming a cooking show personally myself right now and I really want to put it out there it's going to be it's going to be me in the kitchen that's all and I'm going to get to cooking tonight when we when we're finished and I'm going to be making some of my recipes trying to get a jump on the holiday 
because I have to start putting some posts up for everybody. Everyone wants my food. Everyone's asking me to cook my food. So I'm going to pull through. I'm going to bring it through for you. I think especially with now, with a lot of people going through with allergies or like food allergies, that they're always finding what recipes can we have where it's our favorite, but we might have to take some changes. So especially with like your cooking show and maybe the possibility of a cookbook, I think it will be great to share with people because they can find the things that they enjoy, but the tiny tweaks that they have to make so everyone can enjoy it. Would you say meatballs is that signature dish or do you have a signature dish no i'm all genres if i smell it i can cook it i don't even need to taste it i can because i'm afraid to taste most foods because i don't know if it has anything i'm allergic to in it Mm -hmm. i can smell something go buy all the fresh herbs for it duplicate it and then add my twist of without dairy or gluten and it's just like it's like butter you know there's no substitute for it. There's no substitution for my food. Meatballs is definitely a big category for me. I do it like I'm a gangster in the kitchen. (laughs) But I also cook Cuban food. It's something I learned when I I was, um, I was dating in the Latin community for a couple decades, maybe, you know, and I just started smelling their food and I would start cooking it. And before I knew it, People were saying, oh my God, you made this black bean sauce? Yeah. You made that chicken and rice? Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, it's not our tradition, but I liked it a lot. And I'm like, well, if you liked it a lot, it means it's just a new tradition. That's all. Mm -hmm. It means it tastes just like it should taste. And the reason that it's not your traditional way of putting it, if I put an olive in something and they wouldn't put an olive in there, it's what I like. That's why it's called Danielle's recipes. <laughs> you know, you don't have to follow it. I'm not trying to invent the wheel. I'm just trying to share with people what I like in food. And if they like it too, go let me know. Or I always say to people, you can omit anything that you don't care for. It's not going to affect this dish in any way. You can't ruin it. I'm also creating a way for people to make meals in minutes without like dumping like a packet in. That's not what I'm about. It's actually the dish. Preparing it is the time. Putting in the oven might take a little more time, but you can do in moments, put it all into one dish, your whole entire meal, and stick it in the oven anytime you're ready throughout the day and let it cook for a little while. It's meals and minutes. Clay pots, that's my new thing that I'm gonna be selling, and I'm, pumped about the quality of food that people will be eating because of it it's just no way you can make a mistake with these it's actually the most most beautiful way of cooking and the easiest way of cooking now when it comes to the pans and everything else that we're doing yeah you gotta pay closer attention to that stuff because i move along pretty quickly <laughs> but the recipe books and the audio books will also be helping plus i'm going to be running webinars as well cooking webinars for people to sign on and come into the chef's kitchen and, and be able to put on their chef hat and play chef themselves. Listen, I'm self-proclaimed in all aspects of the meeting, but that doesn't mean I'm not a proclamation. I am a proclamation. So I have a lot to say, and I'm going to make sure that if you like what I'm doing and like what I'm proclaiming, 
to give you the opportunity to have more of it. But if you don't, it's okay. It's okay too. I'm not trying to change anybody. I'm not trying to, like I said, reinvent the wheel. But if I make a Latin dish and it's not quite as Latin as a Latin might think it should be, doesn't mean it's not right. I guarantee it's probably better. But you can be the taster of that. You know, everyone has their own taste. I haven't lost one person yet to my food. <laughs> I actually keep gaining a lot of people and I like that. The painters that were here all week, I was feeding them my meatballs. I was late getting on here because I literally was packing up meatballs for them to take with them. Because they said those are the best meatballs they've ever had in their lives. And I'm like, oh, take the rest here, hold on. <laughs> Let me just give them to you. And I made about 50 meatballs, so yeah. And I make the big ones. We're talking about, um, based on your journey that you've gone through, what's the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself that you kind of want to share with your friends and family that you've learned about yourself? The biggest thing I've learned about myself is that I can overcome a lot more than I thought I could. And I can stand alone even though I don't want to. It, it's difficult. And I should never say I can't because I always do. You know, I, I want to give up sometimes. I mean, I'm human, but I think that I've become a lot more limitless than I believed I could be in the beginning. So it has its benefits when you're standing alone against a pack of wolves. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of stood alone all these years, you know, with the exception of that fake defense mechanism that what's her name had for me in the season that just served her. You know, it wasn't really, you, you weren't being a friend to me. I know the difference between someone that's defending me as a friend and someone that's defending me because, you know, it's going to make them look good for the minute. Mm -hmm. But I know, I know a lot more about people than I ever did. I know how to read people better. And I feel like we all benefit from these patterns that life throws at us if we allow it to benefit us we can grow so I've grown a lot from it I used to think that I really needed a man just to lean on to go to bed with at night and feel safe I feel safe I feel safe all on my own I actually feel a lot safer without any of that and I've never had a man take care of me not even my father with the exception of the father of my children when we were married let me see. when we were married <laughs> not after I got the kids though, I got the best part of it. It doesn't matter. People, I think people give up on themselves. They see an idea and they think, well, I have to mirror that idea because that's what I'm supposed to be. I know I'm the, the quintessential housewife without it being a pun. I am the perfect housewife because I love to cook, I love to be at home, I love to entertain and I love to look pretty. And I'm doing it on my own. I'm not doing it for a man. I'm doing it for me. But if you're doing it for your husband, amazing. You're doing it for your boyfriend, amazing. You're doing it for yourself, more amazing. So I get up and if I want to put on something that makes me feel especially one way or another, um, if I want to look more a little more proper, I'll dress for that occasion. If I want to feel a little more sexy i'll dress for that occasion i never dress for anyone but me 
unless I'm going to mass, of course, then I dress for God. <laughs> you know, I try to be as godly as possible, but, or, or going to a gay bar or a gay, a gay event, because, you know, you got to wear those stilettos, baby. I got to represent. Um, I, I love all of the walks that I've been through. And I love knowing that I can stand really tall, really strong and don't need the support of anyone financially, emotionally, none of it. But would it be nice to have the support emotionally and physically, especially with my body breaking as, as much as it does throughout the day? Oh my God, it would be so nice to hold on someone's arm and know that they'll catch me if I fall. I've never needed anyone to pay my bills. I've taken care of my bills and the kid, bills for the kids in their school for 20 years. I got this. Yeah. And I think I got this part real well. And I love that I know everyone has that in them. You just have to have the ability and I love learning that about myself. And also another thing if for those of you who are listening and those of you who need to know, if they're talking about you, they're leaving somebody else alone. Let it be, let it be. The right people will know the truth. And in the end, does it really matter? Is what they're saying, you're going to give them that much relevance to tear your life apart? No, you're not. I won't let you. <laughs> I will not let you. Because I made a lot, lot of wrong moves because of that. But I also made a lot of right moves. Because I knew when to. Don't let somebody tell you what you should be doing or tell your story. Let them tell their own. And if they're gonna tell your story, ask them to tell the whole story. And if they don't know the whole story, they have no right to speak Correct. your name ever. Because like anytime someone else is telling your story, they're gonna leave out the important information or not, they're gonna twist the words in a way which- Benefit themselves. We see that even with everyday people. Everyone mm -hmm. that's telling someone about, we're not getting the true situation, I think, that's where we all are, where we have to be happy for ourselves and show that nothing's going to stop us. If you're going to go complete that goal, you're going to go do it and nothing's going to block you. Nothing's going to be easy, but you're going to do it. And it shows, I think, with you where you're that independent woman, but you are tough, you're motivated, you're going to go do what you want to accomplish each and every day. Yeah, and let's face it, I mean, I know it might sound lonely, but I really love sleeping alone. <laughs> I don't have to share. I mean, I'm pretty loud because of my pain. In the past year or so, it's gotten very bad. And I don't sleep a lot, but I don't got to explain it or apologize to any man. I don't, I don't have to. I mean, I do apologize to my kids all the time, or if a neighbor hears me, it's like, sorry. But... I'll be screaming that loud if I take a step on a step outside in public and it hurts this much to put my foot down. Yeah, but I'm still gonna push through and put my foot down and I'm gonna hold on to something hopefully and not let go. Um, and I get stronger because of it. So even at your weakest, it's just your best trying to come through. It's just trying to break you. And I love waking up and beating to my own drum and not having to do anything other than just be me, you know? And I've always loved taking care of my kids. That comes second nature. 
but it's really nice now that my youngest, she's in particular, she takes very good care of me. She's here for everything. And, you know, she doesn't always get the best of me because pain can make you very angry and it can displace the anger in ways that when you speak, it comes out sounding like you're aiming it for that person. It's like a target. It's not, you're just, anyone in pain can tell you the truth, tell you the same. It's just, it's there. It's just raw and it hurts and your voice sounds different. Your face looks different. Um, and you look angry when you're just in pain. It's just pain. You know, the final question I want to ask you, for someone that's listening to this interview, based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to accomplish their goals, overcome obstacles, and rise to the challenge? Okay. To overcome obstacles, you can never go around them. An obstacle is put there for a reason. Figure it out. Don't try to go around it because you're just like a mistake. You're going to have to come back around and go over it again. So obstacle courses are put in, in course for one reason. You can't skip one of the obstacles. Correct. Go over it. Go through it. Don't go around it. Can't skip any steps. To the next point, which is overcoming obstacles and... Accomplish their goals. Accomplishing your goals. Well, by going through the obstacles and doing it properly you're going to see that golden ring hanging at the end of that because that's your goal is to get there with as much dignity and grace as possible and don't let anything take you off your path. To get to your goals, you need to go through the struggles. Unfortunately, nobody's ever going to hand you anything even if they say they're going to. Don't believe them. Don't trust it because that's just their way of pulling you off your path, even for the moment. Now you've missed somebody else that might have been able to be right for that position in your life because you're paying attention to the wrong thing. If you know you've got this and somebody sees that in you and they want to take you off your path, they might promise you the world. Nothing's for free, honey. Nothing. Everything needs to be worked for. That's my work ethic. I just don't, I don't believe it can be right any other way. I've never had the choice for it to be right any other way. So there it is. And then to rise above, always imply dignity and grace. I know I said that before, but if you are doing your very best to remain dignified and gracious and grateful as well, everything else will fall into place. You do not need to do anything other than just be, just be. And that's how you'll rise. Well, Danielle, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show mm -hmm. about your rise to the challenge. You inspire so many people and you motivate so many that works mm -hmm. what the future looks like for you. I'm so happy. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.